0: Welcome to Pilgrim Lost. Come walk with us while we explore life in hopeful motion. It's Pilgrim Lost. Another exciting episode. I'm thrilled to be here. I spent my weekend, actually, uh, daydreaming about trekking a little more than I should have when I should have been getting things done. It's one of those times where well, part of the part of the reason, honestly, it was because of our guests this week. If I'm, if I'm telling the truth, I was off watching uh, Jeremiah Gibbs videos about Camino and trekking and, and some of that world. And uh, I, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm really frustrated right now. I know I'm going to bring you on in a minute, Jeremiah. I'm just going to talk. But, uh, I'm 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 working too much these days and it's kept me from my normal sort of lifestyle of trekking. And so I'm finding myself really missing the open road, even just you know the daily five mile around the city. I'm really missing it. So, anyway, sure. today uh, it's a new friend. This is a new friend, uh, Jeremiah, Doctor Jeremiah Gibbs, and uh, you're at the University of Indianapolis, correct? You're the chaplain there.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I'm the university chaplain at the University of Indianapolis. My thirteenth year serving Big this athlete. role. So, yeah.
0: And you're you're married to a wonderful lady who's also in the world of helping form people spiritually, and you've got an adopted son, yeah. and and um, in addition to all those things, part of your job and then part of your your life, your vocation beyond your job, is sort of a love of the community of Santiago and trekking, and we're going to talk about that some today. Yeah. So what did I miss? What would you like people to know about you that I didn't say?
1: Well, I mean, obviously there the uh, uh, the reason that I got to meet you is because of the videos. So that's certainly one place that, you know, uh, Camino, my love for Camino is really has led me into this whole uh, YouTube world, which is also just fun because YouTube is an interesting uh, kind of platform to learn and to, to try to master. But um, but yeah, yes, so I, I have a lot of videos that I make for folks, mostly really helping them make the pilgrimage, yes. although certainly plenty of it is talk about spirituality and uh, and and really just telling my own kind of vlogging stories too of, of walking um, but uh, right. yeah so that's that's a big part of, of how Camino um, for me you know I one of the reasons I started making the videos was because I didn't I, I couldn't be on Camino all the time you know you're talking about like just missing the trekking and missing the, the community and those kind of things will, the the videos allow me to be a pilgrim, you know, 365 days a year. So yeah, it's right. been it's become a big part of my life this year.
0: Well, the um the mission statement, the purpose statement of Pilgrim Lost is that it's inspired by these large tracks like the community of Santiago, yeah. but focused on the everyday. How do we bring these themes to the everyday where they're not predicated on privilege? They're not predicated on You know, getting a month, six weeks off of work and spending thousands of dollars and having the sort of relational equity that you're like released to go do these sorts of things, that those those forms of privilege are not necessary to experience these universally transformative things. I I mean, every person I've ever talked to who has done long trekking, particularly the Camino de Santiago, they come back and they say it was a life-changing experience. And I just I refuse to believe that life change is predicated upon privilege. Yeah, life yeah. change should be should be accessible to all of us. It should be accessible in the everyday, it should even be accessible in the mundane. It should be accessible yeah. when you have small children screaming and tugging on your on your shirt tails. It should be accessible when you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week um, in little ways. And how do we find those little ways in everyday life? And we're going to get into that at the end. Yeah. Um, I also want to get into with you, you take a lot of people, a lot of neophytes, a lot of rookies. Um, you're, you've got a trip coming up in May with 30 first timers
1: Yeah, 31 So there's 31 of us going uh, Only one of the other pilgrims has been before um, So one of them was has co-led a trip with me in the past um, okay. But the other uh, 29 of them will be first time Camino walkers And I would say of that group Only one or two have backpacking experience either
0: Okay, uh, so I want to get th- into that Yeah. Uh, Before we go there, how many of those have you done? How many group where you've helped lead a group of people?
1: So group trips, this will be my uh, fourth.
0: Fourth. And then you personally, most of those are 10 to 15 day treks. Yep.
1: yeah, usually uh-huh. I kind of target about two weeks of walking. Sometimes the, the trip will be a little longer, as so we might do some sightseeing and things. But usually about two weeks of actual walking days. Um, Astorga on Camino Frances or sometimes Pomferata on Camino Frances. Um, and uh, yeah, so and then a little bit of, like I said, a little sightseeing
0: too. And what's the distance on that? What's the total distance?
1: Um, Astorga is 165 miles, like 270 kilometers, something like that.
0: Okay. Um, I
1: think Pomferata might be 135 miles.
0: Um, have you, have you done it just alone or just with one, just for yourself as opposed to leading a group? Have you done that? So
1: I've been, now I've never walked from St. John to Santiago, um, by Ooh. myself. I, I actually have walked all of the sections, um, okay. but I've not done it in one swoop like that. Oh. Um, but I have been uh, on three occasions. I have been on sections of Camino by myself or uh, with uh, Jen. So I have in you know, done a little bit of the solo walking. And certainly I would say one of the most meaningful Caminos I've been on was the 12 or so days I spent on Camino back in July of this year um, where I was by myself and, and got to be more like a solo pilgrim. Nice.
0: Now, I know you've you've done some walking on the Appalachian Trail, true?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I um, last year did my first section of Appalachian Trail in Virginia. um, And I had a group of five. I'd never done that trail before. And so I I did have a few friends that went with me. Um, Mm -hmm. And then this year I'll be going back in June for the next section north of where I was before in Virginia. um, But this time taking 11 people with me um and of that group only about four have ever backpacked before a lot of them I shouldn't say uh, have ever done backpacking with a tent um a lot of them are my former pilgrims Camino pilgrims that are now gonna uh, experience the Appalachian Trail um and then some of them have never been on any any backpacking at all so
0: from my perspective over my 50 plus years uh on this blue and green orb um uh, the appalachian trail is probably the most famous trail in north america that i'm aware of personally sure. uh we have we have a very similar trail the the pacific coast trail the pct here on the on the west coast yeah. That a lot of people walk in chunks it goes all the way from mexico to canada um very robust i've i've not spent hardly any time on it myself yeah. our producer mark i think has walked it a little bit um but can give me give me uh give me two minutes on the appalachian trail because yeah. i've never walked it, I've never been there i just know yeah. the name and it sounds east yeah. coasty. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it is um I, well first of all i and maybe even i'm not sure how many what the the elevation is like on pct or the our um, continental divide but but The Appalachian Trail is all mountains. I mean, it is uh, very, very mountainous. I'm actually in one of the flatter sections in the part that I'm doing in Virginia. Um, But still, the comparison from between that and Camino Frances, for example, is, you know, night and day. It's very, very steep. Um, I would say that on the whole, um, Appalachian Trail is very much wilderness. You do come in and out of some towns where you can do some resupply every week or so um one of the things that makes appalachian trail yeah uh, appalachian trail easier than for example pacific coast or cdt is the water supplies are very plentiful on the appalachian trail so for example i pass by a stream about two to three times a day in, in many sections which means that it's much less risky right so when you're when you don't have water for sometimes several days at a time that's when people who don't have a lot of experience backpacking can get themselves in trouble. So in that sense, Appalachian Trail is, is uh, safer uh, for new backpackers, I think, than some other of our distance trails, um, but it's still very, very strenuous. And there's a section in the northern part of Appalachian Trail I've not been through called the 100-mile wilderness where there's no um, food supplies, no uh, people, anything for 100 miles of very ch- challenging uh, terrain. Um, so, so there are sections of it that are quite difficult. So I think one of the things that's really interesting about Appalachian Trail, um, and, and one of the things that makes it powerful in some of the same ways that Camino de Santiago is, is that so many people enter into Appalachian Trail without a lot of experience and they go on very long sections. Maybe the whole thing, maybe just very long sections, but, you know, these are people who, Know when they, well, at least they don't know when they start, whether they can finish. You know, I just Mm -hmm. had a long conversation with um, pilgrims that I'm collaborating with and making videos yesterday, and we were talking about how our fears when we began Camino was being unsure of whether we could do it. And that experience, I think, is even more um, powerful for folks who are walking the AT for the first time. And that place of fear, that, that uncertainty and learning to trust yourself, learning to trust the people around you, learning to trust the fact that thousands of people are walking this every day. So probably I can do it too. Um, and just kind of moving into that is, is really powerful and life-changing for a lot of people on the AT. And I think one of the things that i when I met people, I had Camino, uh, you know, patches on my pack and I have a Camino tattoo. And so when I was on the AT, I met a lot of pilgrims um, and and many of them would say things like this is just the same for me as when I walk Camino to Santiago. Now, that is not true for me. Uh, I do not like walking the AT as much as I love the Camino. Um, I don't enjoy it as much and I don't find it as spiritually uh, encouraging. Um, but it's, many of the people had some of the same kinds of language that that folks have when they talk about Camino um, that were that were distance hiking. And I did, I should say when I walked last year, we intentionally put ourselves right in the middle of the through hikers for that year. We went at a time and in a place where we knew that there would be lots and lots of through hikers. Um, so, I got to meet a lot of them.
0: Let's go back to uh, in the middle of that, you said, you know, that there's this fear I'm not going to be able to finish, or yeah. there's this fear going in. And I agree with you, it's particularly your first time. So much of sort of taking on your first big trek adventure, wherever it happens to be, yeah. is sort of administrating your fears and finding the energy the belief the faith the hope yeah that though i can't see the answer the answer will sort of appear to me you know whether that answer is i can do it or the answer is my body's stronger than i thought it was or the answer Mm -hmm. is i i I can bear being on whatever but what are the what are the fears you know with all these newbies that you take and you care for in their both their preparation up to and then their early days walking what are the fears that you really experience you think most a lot of people experience going on these hikes
1: well certainly the whether i can do it fear is absolutely i i think um yeah i would say more than three-fourths of the people that i lead That is a a dominant question for them when they begin. And and the irony of that is, as somebody who now has led more than 100 pilgrims on Camino, I tell them I've had 100 pilgrims on Camino. None of them have been in taxis for more than 10 miles. Right. Like everybody finishes, you know, and now that's not totally true. Right. We know that people sometimes people can't finish. But but in my case, everyone has finished. And so to be able to say to somebody that you can do this and yet they still have all the anxiety, maybe I'll be the one that can't, you know. Um, And so I think that physical fear absolutely is there. There's also for many of my pilgrims, because I take a lot of 18 and 19 and 20 year olds and some of them, it's the first time they've ever traveled without their parents. Um, you know. And so that kind of anxiety about uh, that dynamic is really... It's a big deal for them, too. And it's a big deal for their parents to trust me to go you know, take their kid uh, across the other side of the, the world. One of the things that I still have as an anxiety as a trip leader is whether the relationships are going to work, you know, because group dynamics are tricky sometimes. And sometimes I don't know, you know, are these people going to really connect with each other or they're going to be. Um, big turmoil uh, kind of brewing in the midst of that. And, and so that's a, a concern, which I think is in a parallel concern. Many people f- wonder whether they're going to be completely alone, whether they're going to connect with anybody and and right. uh, make any friends. Because I think for some people, Camino is a very solitary experience. For others, and this would be me, it's it's very much a communal experience and that the, the relationships that are built there are part of why you go.
0: Yeah. I think people are afraid of the deprivation, the, yeah. you know, to walking away from st- all the stimulus we're used to having, you know, yeah. having food at arm's length, having entertainment at arm's length. And then suddenly I'm, I'm going to walk for five, six hours a day and what's going to fill my mind. And mm-hmm. will, am I afraid? Am I afraid of that stillness? Am I afraid of, um, does my, does my mind have enough, to sort of feed on during those long hours and uh it helps with you're with a group and you can you've got people to talk to i walked the camino from saint jean alone mm-hmm. and uh i i mean even as a 51 year old with i did it when i was 48 but um with you know some training in these things yeah i was scared to death that yeah. there wasn't enough in my mind to sustain the time
1: yeah so are you uh, naturally tony are you introverted or are you more extroverted in your energy
0: if you had told if you had asked me that for 90 percent of my life i would have said absolutely an extrovert high energy really theatrical you know uh shoving myself into the center of the party but i am discovering that some of that um what is roles that i play and that in reality now i go i have to be alone that's where i that's where i actually replenish so Mm, yeah yeah
1: yeah there's an interesting dynamic i I think that that introverted extroverted uh dynamic is really really uh it's so obvious when we're on camino um but I also I, I the language that I use and actually when I'm teaching spiritual formation as well as when I'm um, talking with my pilgrims is uh, even though maybe the best thing that we can do formatively for us is to feed on and, and embrace the parts of our self that are most natural, that are most life giving for us. So for me, as an extreme extrovert. I love staying up late at night, drinking and and hanging out with the other pilgrims and trying to learn new words in Italian and all this other stuff. You know, like that for me is life giving. But there's also for all of us, you need to eat your vegetables too, right? Like whatever the thing that is most it is not natural for you. Go and, and let that be a part of your, your uh, formation as well. Let that be part of the challenge for you if you are an extrovert to go and walk for hours uh, by yourself, not talking with others and vice versa. somebody who's really introverted, go out and, and have meals with folks and let them uh, see what it's like to form these new relationships in a new place and so on. So both have to but I think both are important.
0: I also would argue, and maybe you want to either disagree with me or you can give me your thoughts on this, that we particularly um, privileged Americans, I'll just say Americans, that's my culture, I don't want to speak to other countries, privileged Americans, that we have a total, we have been trained to avoid adversity at all costs. Diversity has no value. And one of the great things about trekking is it does push you beyond what you think you're able. You do have to endure pain. Your body will will experience um, tension, uh, resistance along the way that you have to put every day. For me, at the 10-mile mark, I experience a resistance moment where my body wants to stop. Yeah. And I averaged 22 miles a day when I walked it. So there's a lot more walking that day, but that 10, that 10 mile mark every day was a, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this today. Uh, today's mm-hmm. going to be a short day. There's no way I'm going to pull it off. And then by the 12 mile mark, something else happened, but pushing through that envelope was an important mm-hmm. spiritual formative, whatever you want to say, psychological experience for me that I, that I look back as a gift now. Yeah. Yeah. in the moment it didn't feel like a gift yeah but now do you have any thoughts on that just the importance well of i would
1: say i mean mine is a bit different for me mostly it comes in the morning because um i mean that the actual first steps because i almost always am blistered terribly across my feet like every hike mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so getting moving when you have blisters like is is hard that first for 20 or 30 minutes until the blisters start to, they become numb or something. I'm not sure what happens, but it takes about 20 minutes for you to be able to walk on these sore blisters. Mm -hmm. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just like limping along every single day to start the day off. And it's like, I I don't, I mean, I tell people all the time, I actually don't like walking like this. I mean, (laughs) I guess I do because I keep going back, but, but the actual walking, I mean, I'm like, you know, (laughs) I'm grouchy about it and, and everything else. Um, because uh, for me, it often means that I'm walking through these blisters and sometimes other sorenesses
0: and, and so on, just like anybody else. But Right, right. Wh- whatever the resistance is, whatever the difficulty yeah. is, I just love just uh, as a professor of human and spiritual formation, like, mm-hmm. do you see value in that? That that actually this life yeah. of pleasure is, is not super helpful to forming a yeah. human being?
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, I think even if you look back to traditions of monastic communities, for example, right. where, you know, there were plenty of monastic communities that would intentionally create pain for themselves um, because it would, it would allow them to get into a new place in their spiritual growth and, and challenge. I mean, obviously many religious traditions have fasting as a part of their tradition. And, why do you fast? Well, often it's to create that sense of discomfort, right? And that sense of discomfort then becomes this transitional place where you can grow and you can become something different as you push through the challenge. So I personally would say absolutely yes. I think, I think that it may not always be healthy for us to take up philosophies or uh, practices that encourage that suffering or discomfort all the time. I think periods of discomfort are much more valuable. And this is really when we look at how people work out, right? You think about physical training. um, Your body needs the rest from the stress too, right? So you create, you work out, you lift weights, and then you give yourself a day of resting from the weights because that's when the body actually restores and heals and, and builds up. And so I think, I think that periods of discomfort and for me Camino and trekking as part of that um, right. is creating that, that period of discomfort so that uh, there's a kind of rejuvenation afterwards. And, and there's parts of it that are certainly enjoyable, of course, so we wouldn't keep going back. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think the kind of moving in and out of discomfort um, is a pretty valuable thing. Because if we look at the other side, you, may, you use the word privilege a few times. If we look at what it means to live a life without privilege, then we can see what it's like to suffer all the time. And that's not good for us, for our souls either, right? Um, so I think that the ability to move in and out of um, these kind of periods of suffering and, and pleasure are really important.
0: Yeah, so I think it's important to make a distinction between self-abuse and inviting, um, inviting tension, inviting these moments. And uh, it is interesting. We had a couple of episodes ago, we had a a Cherokee scholar on uh, Dr. Randy Woodley was on as a guest. And um, I really pressed him on the word pilgrim. Hmm. Uh, Because when when we named this pilgrim lost, the, the big argument to not name it that was that pilgrim is a mixed term. It has it has a, a mixed meaning in different communities. And we didn't want to do anything that would be harmful. Yeah. And and Dr. Woodley was very, very gracious. I mean, he acknowledged the American story and that the pilgrim story is not, is not in always the most positive story, particularly for indigenous people of North America. But then he also said, but we have to also acknowledge that this, the word is larger than that. And there has been this, this human, this universal human experience of going on pilgrimage and all these different cultures and all these different traditions, religious traditions and cultural traditions have discovered it as an inherently valuable thing to helping us become more whole, helping us find our true self, Mm -hmm. helping us find our place in the community, helping us adult and enter into like this next phase of life, whatever it is, it plays this role, whatever, wherever you're pilgriming to and, Uh, community of Santiago just happens to be one that's been around for a long time. And historically yep. has been a lot, an awful lot of people. Yep. But um, I think it is important to have a distinction and I would be curious from you, yeah. where have you found the, the, the discomfort that led to healing or where have you found mm. pain that helped sort of rejuvenate, restore, or even rebirth something in you? Mm.
1: You know, I will say, uh, on the whole, I have li- very much lived a life of privilege, you know. Um, and I and here, there's financial privilege and so on that has come uh, as well, though I didn't grow up with a lot of a lot of wealth, lower middle class American to begin and, and probably upper middle class American now socially. Uh, but uh, but I have, you know, I've had a a good life in so many, so many ways. And I don't know that I have had, um, I don't know that I felt a need for healing most, most of my life. I think there has been times of, um, restoration for sure. But, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't experience life as someone who, you know, carries deep wounds or something like that. I mean, still discomfort is off i mean <laughs> going all the way back to being in the marine corps um and going through marine corps boot camping and experiencing what that was like and and so these experiences of of a kind of physical i mean suffering is is discomfort is a better word um as you've been using um so i've had a lot of experiences especially of physical discomforts and thing and and insecurities maybe with regard to, you know, exercises that were life threatening and things like that. But um, but I just haven't, I'm, I'm very fortunate that most of my life has been one of great relationships and great people around me and um, and haven't needed um, the kind of healing and, and restoration in my life that I see in so many of the people that I counsel, for example, I mean, um, spend most of my days talking with people who are who are working through some pretty significant traumas um in my work at the university and so i'm very aware of how much privilege has been in my life because of that
0: well i i I appreciate and affirm that energy of gratitude yeah and that to have a life that's been free of the shackles of this world that so many people experience is is laudable um at the same time there's there's nothing new under the sun as the teacher says and um there's a very real way that uh that privilege also allows us to ignore um our own our own holes and lack the the ways because the 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 ease and pleasure and um constantly having our desires fulfilled. Um, there's a way that that also is numbing and can sometimes, uh, distract us Uh, speaking autobiographically. I mean, that's what I've experienced. (laughs) There's, there's, um, as a guy who was raised middle-class and, uh, always went to great schools and all those sorts of things. Um, there's, there's a lot of shared life still. And, um, and I think part of the beauty of trekking is it allows us to deprogram. It allows us to break those habits, those rhythms that have sort of kept us numb, have kept us in the matrix to use yeah. a, a, a cinema term. Yeah. They've kept us in the matrix as opposed to realizing that they're, that just that that steak for dinner every night isn't necessarily real all right do you have any thoughts on that
1: well I mean I think this is maybe not the exact same kind of direction you're thinking you're talking about but I think there's a parallel in the ways that Camino strips all of those status uh factor not all of them I still have credit cards in my pocket when I walk Camino right so I can buy my way out of rough situations and things like that.
0: Right. Uh,
1: You know, in the way movie when, uh, uh, when the, when the Irish Irish writer, you know, you know, like there's, there's a way in which I recognize that I don't have to walk. If I wanted to get into a taxi and go to the nice hotel, I could. Um, But I do think that if you were going to try to stick to the pilgrimage way of Camino, it does strip a lot of our uh, title, And social standing and, you know, so many of those things, because at the end of the day, we're all just out there carrying a backpack and trying to find our next, uh, you know, next bar that we can get a sandwich. Um, And so um, I, I really appreciate the way that that resets who I am. Uh, in relationship to the people around me. You know, when I'm on Camino, I was going to say when I'm on Camino, I'm not in charge of anything. Like I am in so many other places in my life. I guess I sort of am because when I'm leading groups, I still have all these people that I'm responsible for getting there. But even there, it doesn't feel like it in the same way. You know, I have to make sure that they have their needs met and that they're safe. But right. um, I'm not making strategic decisions that that cost a lot of money for my institution or or something like that, you know. And so... So right. for me, one of the reasons I love Camino is that reset of I'm not, uh, you know, we're we're all in the same place in a lot of ways um, and can disconnect from uh, just our own privilege and our own uh, power and all those things that um, are our day-to-day life uh, as a person
0: who's living in privilege. So, And one of the great things about sort of long distance, well, extended meditation. I'll call it extended meditation if your legs are moving or not. But the experience of extended meditation, the stilling of the mind, quieting the mind, the allowing of the the traditional scripts and voices that fill our head every day, letting those sounds, letting those voices start to, to ease and go and inviting the new thoughts in, thoughts that maybe there wasn't space for before, there really is the opportunity to ask the question, what have I not what have I not processed? Yeah. About my life? Or what have I what are the questions? Even to call out to the to the divine or the creator or the universe or whatever it is for you, like what what what, what do what, what what am I lacking? What what do what what do I need? What is my soul what has my soul been lacking? What's the question I need to process? And um this is I hadn't intended to get into this at all, but uh, you know, my I have. I have several African American uncles who are very, 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 very dear to me and very, very straightforward about um, culture. And when we get into discussing privilege with white privilege, Mm -hmm. um, they are very quick to say, whenever the conversation turns to, you know, gee golly, that African American experience, it sure sounds terrible, you know, whatever. They're very quick to go, you have no idea. White privilege has damaged you far more than it's damaged us, Mm -hmm. it has damaged you and you don't even understand the trauma. And that's just one, that's one aspect of privilege yeah. that I want to go. Well, that's, that's protected me from trial. It's protected me from difficulty. And these beautiful older African-American men who love me deeply and consider me their nephew, they're like, you are deeply damaged by this. You don't even understand how. Yeah. You understand how. <coughs> well,
1: and then, you know, in the Christian tradition, one of the things that we frequently talk about the fact that sin and this damage that we do to one another, this ways that we hurt one another and uh, break our relationship with one another, it it does hurt the other person when I sin against them. But actually it, it destroys my own humanity when I sin against someone, right? Like I'm less human uh, when I've right. sinned against someone. And I think right. that's really kind of what they're getting at. is like actually when, and, and not that living in privilege itself is not a sin, um, but it does dehumanize us in a way. Um, right. Uh, to be in that kind of uh, unnatural state towards another.
0: Um, Let's talk about this subhuman state. Because I really do think there's something to it. I think there's so much of our life. We really are living a subhuman existence. We are, mm. we are missing the beauty all around us. We are missing the glory in a stranger. We are missing um, the the fullness of life inside the knowledge of self, the the true knowledge of, of who we are, how we're participating in the great story, all these sorts of things. Um, tell Give me some thoughts. You know, you're yeah. a teacher. You're a professor about this yeah. stuff. How do we bring How do we bring Camino home? How do we live it every day? How do we bring <laughs> these themes, these transformative themes, into the mundane?
1: Yeah. Well, one one place that I would start would be relationships, um, and I think there's this is a place where uh, we can learn some lessons from the way um, that are very concrete when we br- want to bring those home. So one of the dynamics that I I try to explain to people who are learning about Camino um, is I usually tell a story about how you will arrive at a bar at two o'clock in the afternoon. You will sit down at a table with somebody you've never seen before. You'll just sit at their table. Uh, Within about five minutes, you'll be taking your shoes off to show them your blisters and uh, at the table. And within about 10 minutes, um, you'll be talking about the philosophy of life and why what kind of suffering has brought you to the way, um, you know, and and so there's a way in which the pilgrimage, and I think part of it is because of the unique community that we assume some things about other pilgrims, and because we assume some things about the degree of safety we have with them, um, there. Some shared values, et cetera, et cetera. We open up so much more quickly, and 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 let those walls down that we put between us to keep us safe. Right? We mo- most of our walls that in our relationships, we perceive them to provide a level of safety from vulnerability. And I think that vulnerability is so natural on the way that um people just automatically uh open up i remember um there was a, a particular pilgrim and i was sitting on the train with this pilgrim um on the way uh to our desk our star, uh, starting point and i asked uh i asked her she was talking about experience of anxiety and how anxiety had she had suffered from anxiety for much of her life and um and i asked her i said do you believe that if you were in a complete safe community, like everybody around you, you trusted them, you knew who they were, do you think you would still experience anxiety with them? Because some people with anxiety, they don't experience it when they're with really safe communities. And some people, it's just with them all the time. And um, the student responded, oh, no, anxiety is part of who I am. It's It's just who I am. About 10 days later, through tears, she was telling the group, I've never experienced a time in my life when I didn't have anxiety. And I'm now a week into having not one bit of anxiety in any conversation uh, along the way. And it it was very moving for her because she'd never experienced relationships like that. I think that if we can find places of trust in relationships, the kind of trust that we automatically give to other pilgrims, not because they've earned it, but because we assume some things about them, then I think that um, that those relationships can be much more vulnerable and trans- transformative in our lives. But we do have to figure out how can I be vulnerable in that way. So that would be one that I think is... Um, You know, life lesson that that we can can bring home pretty quickly from Camino is the way that those relationships form. I I think the other thing that for me has been transformed, this may be maybe the way that Camino has been most significant in my own spiritual growth uh, as a as a person of faith and praise and and so on is I, I have learned how to make meditation and prayer a part of other activities. And the monastic tradition, they do this all the time, right? So if you've learned about monastic communities, they often are making cheese or chocolate or baskets or pottery. They have these tasks, this work. That Beer. They Beer, absolutely, yes. Uh, wine. <laughs> um, but they do these tasks that are that are repetitive And um, and and not particularly intellectual tasks. Right. They're not something that require a lot of calculations. They're not building houses. Right. They are. They are making cheese. Um, And so. When they do that, um, they do those kinds of repetitive work because it's a a way in which they can engage in prayer. And one of the things I've learned about um, the Camino de Santiago or learned from it is how to make mundane tasks meditative and prayerful. So my drives have become more prayerful. It's still kind of hard to drive and pray because you got to make sure you don't hit anybody. Um, but uh, but I've learned how to make walking meditation, how to, how to meditate as I run. I've just uh, recently become a runner in the last year. Um, and that has been incredibly valuable in my own life because we're doing these things all the time, right? Like, If I can teach my students how to meditate for seven to eight minutes as they walk across this campus in between each classes, that means I've put an hour of meditation in their life every day, right? Because that's about how long they're going to take walking between classes every day. And I can insert an hour of meditation if they can learn to do it in six and seven and eight minute blocks as they walk across campus. And so that can be really transformative in our life, a place, a way that we can center ourselves over and over again all
0: day long. Right on. I'm going to, I think, I think we're going to move towards the end. Uh, this yeah. has been great. Is there anything, is there anything, Jeremiah, you, have, you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to say? Anything about being a pilgrim, mm. experiencing that side of life, anything out of our, out of this discussion that yeah. you want to circle back to?
1: Yeah, I think what I would say, and this is, uh, you know, an ongoing theme on my, on my YouTube channel, um, is I think a lot of folks, and, and I recognize this is talk about conversations of privilege, the fact that people uh, often don't go because of the things I'm about to talk about is absolutely about privilege, but, um, but I think so many people get caught up. Uh, and and nervous about making the way because you know they feel they're they're nervous about traveling alone they're nervous about whether they can make it whether they can walk that far nervous about whether they you know have as you said whether they have enough in their head uh, to be able to sustain uh, that kind of uh, a journey um, and I. I'm convinced that there are very few people who can't do this, very few people who um, won't benefit from it in a significant way. I usually say if you can walk one mile, you can probably walk 10 miles. And if you can walk 10 miles, you can probably walk amino. Um, because, you know, we're not talking about rocket science here. We're talking about one step in front of the other. And so I think if folks will just get over the anxiety of all of the fears that we carry and just begin walking, then they'll find a place that ends up being life, life transformative for
0: them. That's great. And uh, whether that's in Spain or whether that's somewhere close to home, like trusting your body and giving it a chance. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I hated walking. I hated hiking. I, I, I live in Portland, Oregon, close to some of the most beautiful hiking in the entire world. And I grew up not liking it. And now I can't wait to walk all the time. I didn't even know I had that gear. And suddenly I realized I had it. Uh, Jeremiah Gibbs, Gibbs jeremiahgibbs.com. There's a lot of communal resources on the website. If you want, you know, thoughts on budgeting for going on Community Santiago, you want thoughts on packing and sort of a lot of nuts and bolts, a lot of sort of the X's and O's of of the how-tos of both prep and 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 being there as well as his own just sort of thoughts on living an inspired life yeah. which is great. Yeah, I
1: should say Tony um so JeremiahGibbs.com is a lot of my spirituality teachings and things like that and some of my camino I've actually just put a new website up uh caminoguide.info um and on caminoguide.info I have a lot more of the camino resources better sorted out. Great. Um, I would encourage people to check that out and check out the YouTube at Camino Guide,
0: too. Thanks so much. Everybody, thanks for being here. Again, go check out Dr. Jeremiah Gibbs on both YouTube, his website, and CaminoGuide.info. And this is Lost, and I want to thank everyone for getting lost with us. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.